Hey, um, so let me ask y'all a question. Today, today is Palm Sunday. There was a day back in the day um, when I was closer to being a youth pastor that we used to call it Slip and Slide Sunday, and I would kind of preach on, you know, Palm Sunday uh, but you know how the people really, they slipped and they slid. And at, after the service, we'd have like a big, you know, festival and we would have the most giant slip and slide and all of that. But I'm afraid I would get hurt on that. So we are, we're not doing that today. And uh, but but thinking about slip and slide Sunday and thinking about Palm Sunday, how somebody at one point, man, they can just be like throwing their only clothes down. They can be saying, Hosanna, Hosanna, Lord, save us, save us now. And I mean, with all their heart and soul, save us now. And the very same people, less, less than what, five, six days later are yelling, crucify him, send him to the cross, kill him. He's not our guy. And, and all of this, how can that happen? And you know how it happens is when we don't know the Word of God, but we know about the Word of God. When we don't study the Word of God ourselves, when we don't understand in context, but we take what people have preached to us and what people have taught us, and that's what happened. Let me ask you a question. If you are broke and you need some cash, anybody here broke and need some cash? All right. If you're broke and need some cash, Roger, what do you want God to provide? What kind of God are you looking for if you're broke? A money God. Yeah, dude, I need God. I need some cash, man. If you are sick and, and you are ailing, what kind of, what are you looking for out of a God? A God that does what? A God that heals. If you are, if you are a, a civilization that has been oppressed by the Assyrians, by the Babylonians, or by the Medo-Persians and the Babylonians and the Greeks and the Romans, and you are still under Roman oppression for all this time, what kind of God would you be looking for? A say, a, a, not, not an internal savior, but an external savior. You're looking for a military genius, someone who's going to come and kick Roman tail and put you in charge again. And does the Bible support that? Yes, it does. But in, they were looking for that military leader that was going to come and that was going to kick Roman tail, fix everything on the outside, and they would now have the millennial kingdom. The millennial kingdom is going to be a time uh, I believe after the rapture, after the tribulation period, and we're going to be a part of that millennial kingdom where there's going to be a thousand years where this earth is perfect again. Where Isaiah and uh, the prophets talk about where the lion lays down with the lamb and nobody gets eaten. Little kids are playing at the den of an adder or rattlesnake den and nobody gets hurt. It's where the world is not in chaos anymore. He has to recreate it. But at the time, if you are an oppressed people, you're, you're looking for a God that's going to fix your external oppression, and another God comes by, even the real God, the holy God, the only God comes and says, no, your God is wrong. What are you going to do with them? The same thing they did. They challenged God. God came in the flesh and said, this is what's going on. This is what your religion is wrong. I want to fix you from the inside out. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. That's the main thing. And then everything you need will be added unto you. It'll all be there. You just make me king of your heart. And I, it's not about getting what you want. It's wanting what you get, realizing that everything God does is good. But you see, humans have an idea. We have, we, it happens in us where we start looking for people to be our Savior, and the people who are going to be our Savior, we're looking for them to fix our externals. 
If I'm broke, I need some cash. If I'm ill, I need some healing. If if I'm oppressed, I need some freedom. And you can put that in any context of what you need. And in fact, that is the problem with modern theology right now. You go and modern theology, man, there's enough Bible in there, but it's picking and choosing and how it goes. And it's all about what God can do for you. I got news for you. I told you this before. The Bible is not about you. The Bible is about who? It's about God. There's a huge difference. Now, can we come to him for healing? Yes. Can we come to him for some cash? Yes, he's provided. You guys know he bought me a 115-horse Yamaha motor for the boat ministry for my boat. It took some cash. He provided that. He can do all of those things. But that's not why we come to him. We come to him because he's him. We, if we make our theology about what he can do for us, what are you going to do? Carol Ann, what are you going to do when he doesn't give you that? When he's got a different, yeah, you're going to cry no matter what, right? But, <laughs> but, but seriously, man, so many people have given God everything because they need something fixed, something healed, something changed. And, and, it, and God had a different plan. And now they're not walking with him at all. They put everything they had into what they thought he was going to do for them. Here's a better plan. This is the plan of the Bible. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind. Get to know Him. Read the Word in such a way where you know He is the almighty, magnificent, powerful, the most awesome being in the universe. Amen? I'm running out of adjectives. I don't even have adjectives to describe Him, but if you know how awesome He is, are you worried about if you really need some cash? No, man, he could take you home and you wouldn't even need a bank account anymore. I'm just saying, no matter what, if you believe he is that awesome, he is that magnificent, he is that loving, he is that, man, he's, he's the ultimate father. If you believe everything the word of God says about him, then you put it all in his hands. Isn't that what we sang about? Man, what are we saying? When I surrender, I surrender. When I fight, I fight on my knees. You know, I fight on my knees not to beg for some, but to beg for him. God, reveal yourself to me. Show me who you are so that even if I don't get what I want, I want what I get because you got to, you chose it. You are the one who could provide anything. Help me be used for you to get glory in all of this. So our theology doesn't need to be man-centered where it's about me. You're going to be disappointed. You're going to be... How many of y'all have had God do something different than what you prayed for? Anybody? And how many of y'all actually had God do something different than what you prayed for, and you're pretty stoked about it? How many of y'all are hoping to be stoked one day? (laughs) Yeah. But, But seriously, man, I can't tell you how many times I am so grateful that he chose his plan and not mine. We wouldn't have this church if he chose my plan. I'm like, God, I'm too old to plan a church. This is back in 2014. God, I don't want to be broke for five more years. God, I don't want, you know, I don't want to plant a church. Put me back in a, put me in a pastorate where we have a church and we will plant all kinds of churches from it. And, and, and I fought him on all of it. And he had to take me like a football and punt me into this. And again, I told you all before, the only reason we started the very first service here was to prove to you, Yehus, that this is not what I was supposed to do. We were not supposed to have a church. 
But we had the first service. Next thing I know, we have a website. We're incorporated. I'm like, no! And look at you guys now. We have a church. And I'm grateful. I would rather pastor no other church than this one here. But isn't what I prayed for? If I was just settled in on only getting what I prayed for, only what I wanted, instead of wanting what God wanted, I would have missed it. And I'd have missed all you, even you snowbirds, Mac. I'm just saying. <laughs> because you know, you know the joke. God had to break my heart. We thought this was going to be a surfer church. We're going to minister to surfers. And a buddy came in with demographics and said, heck no, man. Y'all are going to be a snowbird church. What? <laughs> I love everybody God brings from all over the world, whether he brings you for a week, a season, or a, a, a longer season, whatever it is. But again, it's not about getting what you want. It's wanting what you get. And, and you can't be that way until you know the almighty God. If your relationship is all about, this is what I want, God, this is what, you're going to miss him. That's what happened on Palm Sunday. Oh, save us, save us now. Here's all, oh, there's some things lining up in prophecy. This is, oh, he's riding in on a donkey. Woo, this is him, this is him. Save us. They're throwing their only clothes down for the donkey to walk on. But less than a few days later, man, crucify him. I don't want this God. Maybe that's your story at some point. You know what? I gave it to God and he didn't do what I wanted him to do. Forget this. I'm going to somebody else. Isn't that how we hire our politicians or vote for our politicians? Isn't that how we ju choose jobs? Isn't that how the mistake we make in everything? Instead of looking for somebody that is God-like in every aspect of our life, what are we always looking for? How do we vote? How do we do things? Whoever's going to promise to give me stuff. How many of y'all got the stuff they promised you? How many of y'all been around long enough to know they make promises? I'm not just talking about politicians. I'm talking about bosses. I'm talking about, about condo associations. I'm talking about everything. People know how to win you over, right? Tell you they're going to give you stuff. Look at people's character. Character is what you are when nobody's looking. Look at their character. See what they do. See what, who someone is. And the more godlike somebody is, the more awesome it's going to be. And they're going to do the right thing, whether it hurts or feels good, but it's going to end up being right. Amen? And that's how we got to look at God instead of looking like, well, what's he going to give me? What am I going to get at? Believe me. Well, look what he says. Again, Jesus, I believe, preached one major message everywhere he went. And it's called the Sermon on the Mount. You can study that. And at the end of that message, he preached it in different forms. But man, he just had one message. The kingdom's here. And he, he summarized the entire thing in Matthew 6.33. He said, you, man, don't worry about what you're going to wear. How many of y'all worried about what you're going to wear today? I did. I changed three times to enter this outfit right here. So I'm just, you think I'm joking, man. <laughs> like, I'm like, no, T-shirt, I'm going to freeze. No, this, I'm going to, I don't care. I'd rather sweat than freeze. I'm so tired of winter. I want warm water again. Man, but they said, don't worry about what you're going to wear. Don't worry about what you're going to eat. How many of y'all are worried about what you're going to eat? <laughs> y'all already thinking, thank you for being honest, man. Well, you're going to be here a couple, a little bit of time. So just kind of think of it as fasting, temporary fasting. He said, don't worry about all those things, man. He said, that's what the people without me worry about. He said, but you, you who are putting all your faith and trust in me, seek. What does it mean to seek, y'all? What? What's that? Go after it. What? Look intently. What else? Is that what you're going to say? Yeah. Hey, what if all of a sudden you look down for your cell phone and it wasn't there? How many of y'all be freaking out right now? Yeah. 
That is the best modern day illustration I got for seeking. If you lose your cell phone, yeah, you just went to the grocery store and you had it in the cart and now you're driving in your car or truck and you look you're like, <gasps> and you go back to try to find it. That is seeking, right? Seeking means you ain't quitting until you find it, right? That's what he says about him. Seek you instead of worrying and thinking about all these things, trying to plan it all out. Just seek me. Seek first, seek only, seek always the kingdom of God. Seek him to be the king. King, what do you want me to do? And what should I do as your servant? You have no shots to call. You just seek him. And what does he promise is going to be provided? Everything you need. Is that everything you want? Well, no. And, and, and honestly, you don't want what he doesn't want you to want. If you want what he wants you to want, you'll get what you want. But he says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. When the king says to do it, do it. And you see, that's what the righteousness is. And he says, and then everything you need will be provided. Is there anybody better to decide what you need than the one that knows everything? Now, I know you got like a wife or a husband or a mother or mother-in-law or somebody thinks they know everything, don't you? <laughs> How many of y'all know somebody that thinks they know everything? Well, if you know Christ, you know someone who knows everything. And he said, dude, just pour it all into me and I will teach you what you need to know in this. So again, the mistake that was made on Palm Sunday is people totally missed an awesome God because they pigeonholed him. They, they tried to make him fit their needs, and instead, and he said, man, I'm trying to change the inside. I want to be king on the inside, and then it doesn't matter what they do on the outside. So they missed them because they were looking for the wrong thing. And so as we got into Ephesians months ago, I think now, this is where we're going to end up today here, I promise, in a minute. None, I wouldn't even plan on preaching on none of that. I'll get preaching here in a minute. But as we were singing, God put this in my heart as the introduction to all this. When we started in Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 1, Paul is trying to tell everybody the spiritual wealth you have as a believer. In the first three or four chapters, then he starts all of a sudden says, here's the walk you need to have to use that wealth, which is where we're at in chapter five when we get there, as soon as I get there. But in the very first part, Ephesians chapter one, verses we like to quote a lot, verses that were there, we went through it. And remember, and he said, man, I, God has, through Christ, you've been, per, you've been picked by God, you've been purchased by Christ, you're being protected by the Holy Spirit, and you have been given every spiritual blessing. Every blessing in a cut from heaven, he says. So the illustration we use, how many of y'all remember the, that's the, the hose illustration? Anybody remember the hose illustration? I couldn't find the hose, right? I brought it this morning. But we have a spigot, and that spigot is in heaven, and that spigot is God. And anything that is in heaven that God can produce, that God can have, is available to us. So what is that? Kristen, how would you define what is available through that spigot? Everything we need from him, yeah, everything. So do you really want anything that's not in that spigot? That's all, he says, all heavenly, all spiritual blessings. And that can be material things. It can be money things. It can be health things. It can be anything. But guess what? It comes from him and it's unlimited. And then what we had was we had a hose and the Holy Spirit is that hose. The Holy Spirit is the vessel the New Testament Christians receive every blessing through. So we have the spigot, which is God. We have the Holy Spirit, which is, which is 
uh, the hose, but how many of you have ever tried to hold a hose to a spigot and a spigot and a hose to a nozzle? Hey, Chuck, how's that going to work, man? You, especially a, a fire hose, dude. Man, we've got a fire hydrant. That's God. And you're trying to like hold the hose on. What's going to happen? You aren't going to get hardly anything out of it. So we need a connector that's worthy. So we have God as the spigot. We have Jesus Christ as the connector who has connected us to God and given us the Holy Spirit as the hose. And he's also the connector that, turn, that, that hooks us up because we're the nozzle. And again, we went over this over and over and over again for weeks, and, um, and, and he put it on my heart again. So here it is, the spigot, the, the, the Holy Spirit's the hose. Christ connects us, and we're the nozzle. Now again, we talked about this before, is the nozzle, so I can dance around and say, oh, look at me. Oh, I'm taking a spiritual shower. Look at, I'm, I'm holy, you know. Is, is that the purpose of it? What are we supposed to do with the spigot, y'all? Yeah, it's not like, oh, I'm thirsty. Oh, God, I need some more water. God, I stink right now. Let me have a shower. No, I'm supposed to be blasting Ann. And if Ann's hooked up to the same one and she's a nozzle, who's she supposed to be blasting? Me and Bob and Terry. We're supposed to be blasting each other and we're supposed to be blasting people out in the world with what comes from God through that hose out of us as a spigot. That's what's supposed to happen. And if I'm blasting Emily and she's blasting me, am I going to get anything out of that? Even if all I'm doing is blasting Emily, am I going to get something? Yeah, it's going to be bouncing off of her and onto me, which actually might be more pleasurable to just get the residue spray than a full force stream right in the face. Amen. I'm just saying that's how Paul said in Ephesians it's supposed to work. We get it all from God. And so as he's telling us all of our riches that we have, all the wealth we have in him, now when we start, I think it was chapter four, he said, this is the walk you have to have. This is how you use the wealth. It's one thing to know you have this wealth, but it's another thing now to use it and take advantage of it. And that's what we've been looking at. And when we started Ephesians chapter five, um, he started with a therefore. JJ, should we... Okay, and uh, we start. We started with a therefore on what we were supposed to do, and we're in essence, essence, we're supposed to be like God, and God is love. And but yet the world has all kinds of definitions of love. Isn't that the world? Oh well, if you love me, then you'll accept what I do. No. Oh, you're judging. Who are you, the judge? I'm like, I'm not the judge. I know the judge. I represent the judge, and the judge is already judged. And because I love you, I got to tell you, the judge says this is not right. I'm not the judge. I'm just telling you what the judge said, and I'm doing it out of love. Because if you keep doing it your way, man, it ain't going to work out. And, and again, that's part of it. So we started and it said, be like God. I'm going to reiterate these couple of verses here real quick just to put us in the context, and then we're going to hit some more specific stuff that we touched on last week. So be like God. Go back. Be like God. God is love. Check this out. So Verse 30, we have to start there because Ephesians 5 starts with a therefore. And any time in Scripture a therefore is there, you look to the previous verses to see what the therefore is there for. That makes sense? Yeah. So that's why we're going all the way back here again for the third week in a row. Some of you are like, I got it, I got it. Well, I just sent you some stuff out of Peter. Peter said, I am going to remind you, and I'm going to remind you, and I'm going to remind you. How many of y'all had to ever remind your kids of anything? 
<laughs> How many of you have to remind anybody of anything? So what makes you think you got it on the first try? Well, I already heard this. You know what? We're not supposed to be looking for stuff new out of the Bible all the time. There's a lot of repeats. And it's repeated because we need it. Amen? They may hear need reminding. Yes. And if the Holy Spirit brings it up for you to be reminded again, maybe this time he wants you to do it. I'm just saying. <laughs> That's at least how I take it. So look at this. He says, do not grieve the Holy Spirit. Man, we've talked about that a lot. So go back to the hose. You've got the, you've got the spigot. You've got Christ connecting it. And you've got the hose. And what happens if you take a hose and you kink the hose? Yeah, you cut the water off. There might be nothing coming off. You know, you have somebody run it over, somebody step on it. It's a little kink in the hose. You know what might happen is you might get some out, but you're not getting full force out of it all. So grieving the Holy Spirit is equivalent to kinking the hose. Gary, isn't that what your wife says to you, man? Amen. Don't kink the hose, Gary. And aren't you glad I gave her that, that to use with you? Yes, because now you two can have spiritual conversations when she says, Gary, you're kinking the hose, right? All right, and you don't go back and say, well, you kinked the hose yesterday. You don't do that, right? Oh, you do? You're not as smart a man as I thought you were. I'm just saying. No. But, oh, 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 yeah. So you're holding each other accountable. Iron sharpening iron. Right on. All right, good, good. So he says, don't grieve the Holy Spirit. And that's what grieving the Holy Spirit is, kinking the hose. You're cutting off the supply from heaven. And look how he describes kinking the hose here. He said, don't grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. So if you are sealed, protected, and preserved by the Holy Spirit of God forever, do you have anything to worry about here? Then why do you? <laughs> because our heart sometimes gets here. When I'm broke, I need money. When I'm sick, I need healing. When I'm, when I'm oppressed, I need freedom. I need that new job. I need that new relationship. I need that new whatever. Instead of digging what God's got you in right now and figuring what it is, because he said, if you seek him, you get what? Whatever you need. But we always want it changed instead of seeing that God may be using this to make us more like him. In fact, that's what Romans 8, 28 and 8, 29 says. We know it's good. And the good is that we become more like Christ. Go home and read that verse. So he said, don't grieve the Holy Spirit by whom you're sealed for the day of redemption. You have everything you need. How much longer realistically are you going to be here? The youngest person in here. You know, yeah, we don't know. Even the youngest person, man, the chances are the oldest person in here is going to outlast the youngest in the world we live in today, right? We don't know. But I guarantee you, God does. God knew everything about that little baby's birth, man. Everything about that day that little baby was born. But he also knows everything about the day that little baby leaves this planet. It's all planned by him. We just got to dig the ride. He said, don't grieve the Holy Spirit by whom you're sealed for the day of redemption. Dig what you're in right now. Man, quit acting like unsaved people, like this is where it's all at right here. Turn yourself to him and he'll provide everything emotionally, mentally, physically, spiritually, in every way. Has anybody here ever felt peace in the middle of the most traumatic situation in the world? Who gives you that? God, that's why he says, seek him. 
And then he goes on, and we've, I'm not going to go into this a lot because we've gone over for three weeks in a row, but let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, slander be put away from you with all malice. Because if you have bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, slander, and malice, what do you need to do, MJ? Yeah, yeah, you need to forgive. That's what you need to do, and you can only get that from God. That's why he goes on the next verse, he says, be kind to one another. Woo, if you got bitter, clamor, slander, all that against somebody, how hard is that to be kind to them? You got to see it from God's perspective. He's got to give you that ability. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Therefore, that's why we had to look at those other verses. So because he said all of that, therefore, he says, because you'll have all that, because you're sealed because nothing here really matters except the kingdom that he's left you here to represent. That's all that really does matter here. He said, be imitators of God as beloved children. <laughs> Keone, it, it, he's a pretty creative kid, right? He comes up with some pretty weird stuff too. Where'd you get that from? His dad. <laughs> he sometimes gets it from you. And even my sister says, ooh, that's like Grand Dude was when I was, I'm Grand Dude, by the way. That's what Grand Dude was like when he was little. I mean, the apple don't fall far from the tree, does it? You got kids doing stuff? It's because they have your genes. That's why we get born again. So we not only have our genes, but we have now God's genes as our father. So he says, be imitators of God as beloved children, as a child of God. Use the genes, the new recreated genes, the born again genes you have. And he says, look at this, verse two, walk in what? That's why we've been talking about this for the last three weeks of what it means to walk in love. We started and did a whole message two weeks ago on uh, God's love is forgiveness. And, and, and I wasn't even going to go there. And he took us there the whole entire time on forgiveness. And I've heard some cool things how some of y'all have been finally reaching some forgiveness with, with even people that are dead and other situations in your life. Walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. Last week, we did an overview of his last 24 hours. I didn't have hardly any scripture on the screen, which is unusual for me. I gave you an overview and wanted you to look at it and in all of that. But then it comes down and says, a, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Man, Christ's whole life was that. And, and, and at the very end, that's what we're going to look at today. I remember last week, I was like, all right, I'm not even going to do the seven sayings of Christ. Oh, but here's the first one. And we overviewed them quickly. I prayed and I prayed and I prayed. And I think we're supposed to really look in a little more depth, seeing the scripture of the last seven sayings of Christ. And I think by doing that, we will be able to learn a lot about God's love and how Christ was a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. Hey, a fragrant offering. What, is, what does fragrant mean? Hey, Bob, what does fragrant mean? It smells good. If, if it's a fragrant offering to Andy, Andy, what does that mean? The person you're sitting next to is what? Dude, no, they're smelling good. <laughs> they're smelling good. Hey, y'all turn both sides. Is anybody here a fragrant offering? They're like, oh, please don't call on me. It's my new perfume. No, but a fragrant offering, if somebody is a fragrant offering, it smells good. So Christ, think about this as we go through these last seven sayings. As Christ was on the cross, 
Man, think about how bloody and beat up and how brutal. You could not have found a more ugly situation from human standards. It was horrible. But to God, it smelled good. Do you get that? From human standards, you could not, none of you have experienced what Christ experienced. None of you went through any of, even half of what Christ went through in this. Man, it's, and I don't, you're like, well, it was to me, but, but the Bible even tells us Christ went through way more than what we'll ever go through because he was God and he did it willingly. But it says that in that situation that the world looked at that was simply horrible, it smelled good to God. How many of y'all ever been through a situation? Maybe you're in a situation. You don't even know how it's going to work, but to the world, man, everywhere you look, people are like, oh, God, that's terrible. Oh, my goodness. And you tell me how hard. Is it hard, Kevin, to find people to have a pity party with? Hey, guys, I got this going on. Everybody come here. You know, I'm not saying you don't need, but what I am saying is you can always find people to help you see how horrible the situation you're in is. Is that not true? How many of y'all need some friends to help you see how horrible something is? Raise your hand if you will be one of those friends. They can call on you and say, oh, I'm having a hard time seeing how horrible this is. I know I should be thinking it's horrible, but, but help me see how much. If you're one of those friends, raise your hand. Oh, you're scared to raise your hand. How many of y'all have ever been one of those friends? You've jumped in on a pity party before and tried to help somebody see how horrible. When in reality, our purpose is what? Read Read it. Help each other see life from God's perspective. And dude, God's got a purpose in this somehow, some way. And yes, even at the cross, the most horrible thing the world has ever experienced, what did God say? It smelled good to him. You ever thought about that very situation you're looking at that you think's horrible? And like, oh, go away. Take it away. God, I... And I'm not making fun of you. I've been there. And I'm probably going to go there again. And that's when you're going to have to like, <laughs> remember when you did that? Now it's you. I'm like, yeah, you know, I got to realize that God can, that my situation can smell good to God. Amen. How many of y'all believe your situation can smell good to God? And he will get the glory. Everything he does is for his glory. And the residual is it's for our good. We become more like him. As we walk in love, as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. You know what God's favorite thing is? When he looks down on you and you are covered, when you get saved, what are you covered with, Chris? His blood. You're covered with his blood. Man, what if Santa came walking out of the room one day and she's covered with blood? You'd be like, whoo, go clean up, girl, before you come give me a hug. Right? But God... When you're covered with his blood, what's the first thing he sees when you come to him, Chris? His blood. And you know what? You're acceptable to him because that, because that's his favorite thing. It was what saved all of humanity and made man be able to be reconciled to a holy, righteous God. So when you come to him on your worst day as well as your best day, you come as a believer, you're covered with the blood, and he sees that blood, and he says, welcome here. Come here. Carol, when you come to him, man, you ever feel like some days you come to him too much? 
Never? Is there, uh, that's good. That's good. I'm glad. Is there anybody ever come and say, oh, God, it's me again? It's me. You ever have one of those days? No? You still haven't? That's all right. Good. Anybody here ever have those days? God, it's me again. God, it's me again. God, it's me again. Yeah, and he's going, oh, dang, it's Brad. <laughs> oh, I can't believe it's Brad. Oh, it's Marley again. Dude, didn't I just talk to you 8,000 times today? Is that what he says? No, you know what he says, Brad? He looks, he's like, yes, it's Brad again. Because in the garden, that's what he wanted was fellowship between him and us. And that's what he provided at the cross was that fellowship. Liz, when you come to him, he's like, yes, it's Liz. It's not like, oh, what does she want now? How many of y'all feel like there's people and there's God that are like, yeah, what do you want now? What do you want now? You always need something. But God is like, oh my goodness, it's Liz. Yes. He's stoked. That's what he really wants is to be with you. That's why he did what he did. Who he said, walk in love as Christ loved us. He gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering. So what we are getting ready to go through and read in scripture, as brutal, as horrible as it sounds to us, it smelled good to God because Christ responded appropriately in it. So when you get in those positions, remember, you got an offer, opportunity to smell good to God. You know what stinks to God? What stinks to God is when it's all about you. When it's all about you here, and it's all about you here now, instead of the glory that he can receive when he does what he wants to do in all of it. That's when it stinks. And we're like, really? Ashley, I was giving you an opportunity to please me. What does it say in, a, in, in Hebrews? Without faith, it is impossible to please God. You got to believe he is who he says he is, and you got to believe that he diligently re- rewards those that diligently seek him. So when you get situations that require faith, where'd they come from? God, and what's the purpose of them? To please him. He's giving you an opportunity, and instead you're like, oh, I'm too tired for this opportunity. God, I don't want... And I'm not saying you do. You probably do. I just don't see you, but... Man, how many of y'all ever gone to God and said, God, I don't want to... God, take it away. God, stop. Anybody? And God is like, okay, I'm going to go to somebody else because I'm giving them an opportunity to please me. If we can get the right perspective, I think it changes everything. That's how Christ went through what he went through on the cross because he knew it was a sweet smell. It was a beautiful burning sack. How many of y'all, man, have ever walked back in your neighbor's barbecue and man, some steaks? Now, for you vegans, it don't, that, that makes you throw up. I get it. There's some of y'all in there. How many of y'all love to smell a good steak barbecuing on your neighbor's grill? I'd do anything to get that steak, right? No, I'm just saying it smells good, right? That's what, you're a sacrifice being offered up to God. Realize that and don't jump off the altar because after it's all done, you got a cool story, don't you? What I tell y'all when y'all go paddleboarding with me, I don't know what we're going to experience, right? I'm not God, and I don't have a Disney remote controller or whatever. I just say, look, man, adventure is most fun planning for and talking about later. If it was that great in the middle of it, it wasn't an adventure, amen? And it's the same thing spiritually. Walk in love, man. He, Christ smelled good. So let's look at this. God's love is sacrificial. Uh, that was from last week. The last seven saying with Christ teach us a lot about God's love. 
God's love. Okay, so we're going to learn seven, six things, actually, basically pretty quick about God's love. And whatever we don't get, we probably won't get next week at sunrise service, but we'll get the following week. But I think we're going to get through this here, y'all. God's love forgives, all right? We've already seen a whole week of that, but we're going to look at it again quickly, and I'm going to take you through the last seven sayings of Christ in this, starting in Luke 23, verse 32 through 38. It says, two others who were criminals were led away to be put to death with them. So here's where you see that there were three people being crucified on that day. And when they came to the place that is called the skull. Now, I know you can go to tours in, in, in Israel and they'll say, this is it. Well, this is where one guy determined it was. We really don't know where it was. Okay, we really don't know where. And half the things that they tell you, this is where this was. You know why God hides them from us? You know why God doesn't really want us to know where they're at? Because they're not that important. Because if we knew this, oh, this bucket, this bucket is where it all happens. What would we do with this bucket? We'd worship it. Oh, the holy bucket, <laughs> you know? And then people would make other buckets and make them rusty. The rusty bucket. We'd worship these things. Who does God want us to worship? Him. So it doesn't matter. You're like, well, I know I had this tour guide and he said this was it. And I kissed the place where this was. I'm like, awesome. I got baptized. And awesome. We don't know where it was. We don't even know what it really means. It could have looked like a skull. You know what it really symbolizes? That it was the grossest place. Man, somebody was telling me the other day, oh, that, oh, Jeff's not here, man. Dude, we shot a big old 300-pound hog over at MFI, man. And, and honestly, we had to wait for some time and because and there were more. We were eradicating hogs. Otherwise, I'd have strung it up. I'd have cleaned the thing. We would have ate it, but it sat there for like five hours, man. My buddy the other day is like, well, what'd you do with it? What'd you do with it? And I said, well, I threw it to the gators. <laughs> and I ain't going to tell you what ditch I was in where I threw it because the boaters in that ditch would not have liked me very much. And I'm on the World Wide Web right now. But... <laughs> He's like, you didn't cut his head off. I'm like, well, how would I cut his head off? I usually have artists that want the heads, and then they like to dip them and paint them. And they're like, he's like, man, I could do a European mount. And he was like, man, he, he, he said, all you got to do is cut it off. And then he said, just throw it in an anthill, man. Throw it in some maggots or something. I'm thinking, oh. He's like, he's like, when the maggots are good and they're all on there, he said, pick it up. I'm like, I am not picking it up when it's covering that. Uh, the only reason I'm bringing this up, how many of y'all are grossed out right now? That's probably why they called this the skull. He was telling me, and if you can, reach down there below the maggots and pull the skin off, because otherwise I got to scrape it off. And I, I said, that's why I threw the whole thing to the gators, y'all. <laughs> I don't want to do all that. It was just, and when I read that about the skull, I'm just thinking of everything he told me about cleaning that head, and I'm just like, and I just thought about how messy, how nasty the place was. Where not only Christ was crucified, but everybody. It was just a place that was gross. It was not a pleasurable place that anybody would want to be. So the next time you find yourself in a place, a place where you're like, God, nobody would want to be in this. I don't want to be in this. Realize who's got you in it and realize the glory he can get out of it and the good you will have in becoming more like him. So it says this place that's called the skull, Golgotha, and there's other names. There, there they crucified him. We could just end there. They crucified him. Let's move on. And we'll all carry little medallions with Christ on the cross, or if you're Protestant, Christ not on the cross. We'll argue about all that. But they crucified him. But we're going to look a little bit more in depth. And criminals, one on his side, one on his left. And Jesus said, not, he, look what he said. He said, he, he, he's crucified, all right? He's up there. And he says, Father, forgive them. 
for they know not what they do. And they cast lots, dividing his garments. Now the them, are not the two criminals on his side. Who's the them? Those crucifying him. Yeah. How many of y'all were at the crucifixion? Raise your hand. You were at the crucifixion. The scripture tells us that. It was your sins that it was all the past, the present, the future sins. And as we look at what people did during that crucifixion, we can identify with that. It, it, it was, yeah, forgive these people right here, but forgive everyone who sins, who's part of this, who this is for. And again, at this point when he says, okay, Gary, he says, forgive Gary for spitting on me. Does that mean you are instantly forgiven of everything or even spitting on him? No, you know what it means? It, because you're not just, what's required for forgiveness? What do you have to do? You have to realize, you realize that you did something wrong, right? You're not going to get saved till you're lost. You have to realize you did something wrong and that's conviction. So from the time you did it to the time that you were convicted and realized it's wrong, that needs to shorten as you mature as a believer. From the time that you receive conviction to the time that you what? Repent. The time you stop walking away from God and turn to Him, that needs to shrink. So when He said forgive them, it wasn't a worldwide forgiveness. Because who's included? How many of y'all are in there? I am but you had to be born again, right? It's not a world, oh God, forgive everyone who's ever going to sin. They're going to be in heaven with me. No, that's universalism and it's straight out of the pit of hell. And it, 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 it lessens and cheapens the whole sacrifice of what Christ did. So when he said, forgive them, they don't understand what they're going to do. In essence, what he's really asking is, God, give them time. Don't come down with lightning bolts and have judgment right now. Give them time to realize they're sinning. Give them time to realize that there's a penalty for sin. Give them time to realize sin has been paid for. Give them time. Give them grace to be able to accept what I have done on the cross. Give them time for that. How many of y'all are grateful you had time? Man, how many of y'all got swatted down with a giant fly swatter slash lightning bolt the minute you sinned the first time? <laughs> no. How many of y'all sinned more than once before you got saved? At least once before you got saved. Yeah. Aren't you grateful for this prayer? Forgive them. They don't know what they did because before you were born again, before the Spirit of God came into your life and said, that is wrong. I don't care what the world says. I don't care what your feelings say. This is what God's holy standard of righteousness is. And at some point, you had the ability to believe it and believe you were guilty. Anybody remember that? That's what happens at salvation. Father, give them time to repent. Give the whole world time to understand what they've done so they get to make a choice. I'm going to give them the desire and ability to believe the sacrifice and do it. But again... God is giving people who have wronged him the ability to repent. So God's love is forgiving. How many of y'all, I don't want to have you raise your hand and say, how many of y'all need to forgive somebody? You know, because all of us, I think if I dig down deep enough, we can probably bring that up. But let me ask you, how many of y'all know somebody, not you, of course, not you. <laughs> how many of y'all know somebody that has just written somebody off you know, like Peter, they said, uh, he said, forgive him. How often should I forgive him? Seven times? <laughs> he said, no, seven times 70. 
And, and okay, so somebody forgave and forgave for the 490th, 489th time. <laughs> and the, the other person sinned and they said, all right, you know what? I'm done. I'm not forgiving you. It's done. And there's a big difference between forgiveness and restoration. Restoration is where the relationship gets restored. We talked about it a couple of weeks ago. You can go back and listen to that. Forgiveness is where it doesn't eat you alive like an acid on the inside. And you can only get that from God. But man, so how many, how many, does anybody, again, I don't even want to say, I want to say, here's what I want to say. And you know, please don't raise your hand, but how many of you need to forgive somebody? I'm not talking about restoring a relationship. I'm talking about forgiveness where it doesn't affect you on the inside, eating you alive. Because people need to forgive dead people. There's never going to be restoration there. But how many of y'all have somebody you're never going to forgive? Because they cross the line. They've just gone too far. I'm not doing it. I want you to know if you're a believer. Rick, I said don't raise your hand. No. <laughs> but if you're a believer, we're supposed to love like Christ. And we need to beg God for that forgiveness. Doesn't mean we got to live in our life to do it again. It means we got to let it not eat us alive every time the vision of them comes in our head. Every time the smell reminds us of them or a situation reminds us of them, we got to deal with that. As a Christ, man, Father, give them the desire and ability. Give them the time to be able to repent. Forgive them. They don't know what they're going to do. Give them time to figure out what they did. You didn't repent until you realized what you did, until you did it against God. And I will throw this out, and I'll move on to the next point. And you want you to think about this. Because every time I say it, people challenge me, but I'm going to say this biblically, that no one has or can do anything against you greater than what you did to Christ. No one can or has done anything against you greater than what you have done to a holy, righteous God, to Christ. Think about that. And that's what he says. That's the basis of our forgiveness. So God's love that we're supposed to be demonstrating is forgiveness. God's love forgives. So if that's something we got to do, what did he even say in the Lord's prayer? Disciples saw different when Jesus prayed. He said, Jesus, teach us how to pray. And remember what he said? Oh yeah, pray in this way. Don't pray this prayer over and over and over again, but pray this way. Our Father, talking about your position with him, which art in heaven, his power. Hallowed be thy name, I praise you. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, that's his plan. Thy will be done on earth as is in heaven. That's our purpose to do just like in heaven, what everybody, what God, obey God right now. Give us this day our daily bread. That's provisions we need to fulfill our purpose to do what he's called us to do because we're part of his plan. And so he says, Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as in heaven. What's the next part? Give us this day our daily bread. And what's the next part? Woo, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Because when you're a thief, what are you thinking everybody's doing to you, Chris? And when you're a liar, hey, what's your name, bro? I know you, man. Don't I know you? Have I met you before? Dude, my name's Pastor Eddie, man. Chris, when you're a liar, I'm not saying you're a liar, but when you're a liar, what do you think everyone's doing to you? Lying. Yeah. And when you're unforgiving, can you even fathom that somebody would forgive you? That's why we have, he's told us everything we needed to know in that prayer, and we go over it. And I absolutely hate it when he makes me stop at that point. Forgive them their trespass as, they, as I forgive them. And either talking about me forgiving people that's done something to me or going and seeking forgiveness. 
from the people that I have offended. Either way, and I hate when he has me stop there because then I have to let him help me with forgiveness. I love the result, but how many of y'all like the process of forgiveness? Anyone? Ugh, that's like 80 grit sandpaper <laughs> for wherever place you want to put it. I'm just saying, it's like 80 grit sandpaper on a belt sander, dude. It's rough, but it's part until that's right. Nothing else can be right in that. And then he said, lead me not into temptation, but deliver me from the evil one. So God, please keep me on the right path. But if for some reason you have me in the middle of temptation, please let me tap into your power and your grace and realize I don't have to give in to it. There, you have heard like five messages today. That was just a little, no. So look at this. And the people stood by watching the rulers scoffing at him. So the people, the people who were saying, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest, what were they doing? They're watching. <laughs> they're doing absolutely nothing. Prior, they were like, Hosanna, save us, save us now. They're watching because they're confused. They were looking for the wrong God. And, and they, it was even backed up by Bible verses. <laughs> it was all backed up with Bible verses, but the Bible verses were not in context. A text without a context is a pretext. You've got to read the Bible in context. They stood by watching. They're confused, saying, dude, we sold our soul to this guy. Even the disciples were kind of there. The, the rulers, they were scoffing. Like, ha, look at you. Here's what they were saying. Look at this. He saved others. Let him save himself. If he's the Christ of God, if he's really the chosen one. Dude, they're cracking on Christ. They're making fun of him. They're ridiculing him. And by the way, like I shared last week, when, you know, we have this picture of the cross being way up there and majestic on a hill. Actually, when they crucified people, they did it at eye level. They did it at eye level. They, they just hoisted them up enough so that when I'm up on that cross, Chris could walk by and like, if he even had the guts to look at someone who was beat beyond recognition, somebody of dying of starvation and, and dehydration and suffocating, if he had the guts to look at, he got to see it in my eyes. So these people weren't like, oh, hey, you know, it was like right in his eyes, like coming up. Yeah, you're really the Christ, pal. Come on, man. Save yourself. Save us. I mean, it was right there in Christ's face. What could Christ, how many of y'all would have just come up the cross and beat the snot out of one of them Pharisees by this point? Anybody? But he stayed on it for us because that's love. Love forgives, man. And love, see, they don't know what they're doing. They don't know if they knew who I really was, God. If they figured out. And by the way, did any of those rulers get saved? Yeah, they did after the resurrection. That's what he was giving them time for. Yeah, he saved others. Let him save himself if he's Christ the God, the chosen one. The soldiers even mocked him. Dude, and we're going to read later about what the soldiers did. The soldiers mocked him, coming up and offering him sour wine, man. You imagine your face being beat beyond recognition, Chuck. You got blood everywhere, your lips, and they stick sour. You know what sour wine is, y'all? Can anybody tell me another word for sour wine? Vinegar. They stick a sponge of vinegar on your face. <laughs> yeah, that, uh, man, I'm just saying, there's more things that could have been comforting, but that wasn't their purpose. They were saying, if you're really king of the Jews, save yourself. But guess what? He didn't come to save himself, did he, Johnny? Who'd he come to save? Yes. Say me. Who'd he come to save, Johnny? Me. Yes. <laughs> hey, y'all, who'd he come to save? Me. 
Me. Yeah. That's why when they spit on, that's why when they were mocking him, man, didn't that, how many of y'all, that's the last straw, dude. Somebody mocks me, they just, no holds barred. Anybody, that's the last straw? Yeah. Man, if you're really king of Jews, save yourself. There was also an inscription over him. This is the king of the Jews. So we're going to look more into that in a minute. But the first part is that God's love forgives. And if we're commanded to love like God, what's the F word we got to implement in our life? Forgive. Remember that. What's the F word again? Forgive. We got to forgive. And we can't do it in our own power. We only do it through an intimate relationship with him. And just like love, love is not giving people what they want. It's giving them what they need. And the only one who knows what someone needs is God Almighty. So when we forgive, the boundaries of that forgiveness have to be determined by God Almighty, not by society, not by some book Oprah somebody wrote, Dr. Phil, who's a politician. Now, not not anybody's. It's got to be defined by God and God's word of what that forgiveness is. So next thing we look at super quick is God's love saves. And this is out of Luke chapter 23. Luke recorded three of the last seven sayings, and John recorded a couple of them, Matthew recorded a couple of them. But it says one of the criminals who were hanged railed against him. Have, they, have you ever had anybody rail against you? What does railing against you mean? Yeah, you're trying to just do a karaoke show, right? I'm just saying, you're, you're trying to make it fun for everybody, and you got one guy, rah, 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 rah. Right, try, man, right in the middle of it. Railing is not just they said one thing. They're at you. They're at you. You go home, they're at you. You're driving on a car, they're at you because you got a cell phone. I'm just saying railing is you don't stop. Has anybody ever had somebody rail at them? Somebody just get in your face and stay there? That's what one of the thieves on the cross, one of the criminals, and some of your translations say thief, and this Greek word for thief means actually a violent thief. There's different words for thief in the Greek because it's a specific language, but it's actually a violent thief. It's someone who probably did armed robbery and murdered somebody. So it's the worst kind of thief that Christ is being hung with. That's who these two guys were. One of the criminals who hanged railed at him, just continued to rail at him saying, are you not the Christ? Save yourself in us. You know, you're guilty like us. Just save yourself in us. Come on, man. You're the Christ. Everybody will believe it if you can just do this. But look at the other criminal. On the other side of him, he rebuked him. That took some guts. I mean, you're getting ready to die. What difference does it matter? Karen, you're getting ready to die. What difference does it matter? Here's one guy here. This guy's making fun of him. Why in the world would you even take the time, effort, and energy to rebuke that guy? Because your eternity's at stake. Nothing like being on your deathbed to realize your eternity's at stake. And God allowed him to see that he was next to the Messiah. Do you think he understood it as the religious leaders had taught it? No, he didn't understand it. He just knew that he was next to the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. He, he was next to the Savior, the Messiah, the Anointed One. He knew he was, regardless of what anybody did. Maybe even because Jesus acted different and didn't go after everybody railing and mocking him. But the other rebuked him saying, don't you fear God? Since you're under the same sentence of condemnation, we indeed justly, we deserve this. We're receiving due reward of our deeds. But this man has what? Who revealed that to him? 
everybody present believed he just called, he blasphemed and called himself God, which for the people in modern theology say Jesus wasn't really God. That's why he got crucified, because Jesus is God. That's why they crucified him, because he said he was God. And so here, he's like, man, we received this, but this guy's done nothing at all. God revealed that to the man, and in spite of what anybody would say, think, or do, he didn't care, because he knew that in eternity, eternity was going to be more important than right here on this planet. He said, Jesus, look what he said. Remember me when you come into your kingdom. So if you have works-oriented theology that thinks that you can do good and earn salvation, and then you can do bad and lose salvation, and then you're saved again, you have intermittent salvation going back and forth. You know what? This blows it out of the water. For any of you that think there's a purgatory, which again, I'm just going to say, you go back in history, the Catholic Church made it up to raise funds. And, and that's in church history. I grew up Catholic, so I know what I'm talking about. But you go back in church history, it was a made-up thing. It is not scriptural that there's a purgatory. There is, there's no such thing as soul sleep. So he said, Jesus, remember when you come into your kingdom, and look what Jesus said to him, truly, I say to you as God Almighty, today, that sound like soul sleep to you? That's it. Well, you've been a pretty wretched criminal. You better get some of your fellow Christians, you know, some of your, not some of your, I didn't have Christians back then, but get some of your religious people and pay some money to the church so that they can pray you in. Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father but through Him. So Matthew, Zimba, if He says you're in, what's true? You're in. <laughs> Amen. And so you do what He's asked you to do. You're in. You surrender yourself to Him. Truly, I say to you, you will be with me in paradise today. And if you don't know you're going to heaven when you die, I'm just going to say, chances are you're lost. Let me ask you a question. If you were driving around a strange city and you didn't know where you were at, that's kind of a snowbird issue right there, man. We were down in the Keys one week, Mac. We were down in the Keys and it was Hell Week, which is between Christmas and New Year's. And it was packed. And we're driving around and we're dodging people. And, and Ashley was in my suburban. She's like, it's like, you know what's the problem? Nobody knows where they're going, including us. And I'm like, yes, now I can have more mercy on the people who come to my town and don't know where they're going. They think they do, but they don't. And in all of that. But if we didn't know where we're going, what would you, the per, somebody in the car would say, we are what? Lost. If you don't know where you're going eternally, chances are you're, and you don't want to admit it, just like the man who's driving the car and the wife saying, look it up, look it up, right? You're lost. If you don't know where you're going, man, it's so important. There's no more important destination than knowing you're going to heaven, amen? That's eternal, way longer than anyone here. And I'm going to tell you your ways, your map quest for you old schoolers, man. I'm just saying, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, the life. Anyone come, no one can come to the Father but through me. You surrender all you know about yourself to all you know about him. You're in. How many of y'all can say I'm in? Say it. If you can't with confidence say that, and God is giving you the desire and ability to say, I want to be in. I'm surrendering myself to him today. Just do it. You don't have to wait till the end of the service. Don't have to wait for it. Do it right now. You don't have to do it out loud. You can do it in your heart, but you got to do it. And he said to him, truly, I say to you today, you'll be with me in paradise. 
So when you surrender, that's when you're saved. We don't have to go through confirmation class. We don't have to go through catechism. We don't have to go through, you don't have to get baptized. That's your first step of obedience. But baptism doesn't save you. Going to church doesn't save you. What did Billy Graham's wife say about, she said, you can no longer or no more become a car by sleeping in a garage. (laughs) Then you can become a Christian by coming to church. It's a personal decision that God gives you the desire and ability to make. Truly, I say to you today, you'll be with me in paradise. So we've seen so far that God's love. What's the first one for those of you taking notes? Because I'm ADD and I can't remember. First one? Yes. What would you say? Forgives. Yes, God's love forgives. What's the next one? God's love saves. Next one, God's love cares. Chuck, it was kind of cool. I think you even brought this up a few weeks ago in Moses when we were looking there. It's like, dude, God cares. Do you know, you go to Greek mythology and go to Roman mythology, you go to all the different gods people have ever made in the history of the universe, and their God does not care. Jesus Christ and God Almighty and the Holy Spirit of God, which are one and we don't understand, He cares. That's the difference. Our God cares. He does care for you. And watch this, starting in John. So, Pilate talking about he delivered him over uh, to them to be crucified. Going back a little bit, but this is part of John's rendition. He got delivered over to be crucified. And he went out bearing his own place or his own uh, cross to the place, the place of a skull, which is Aramaic for Golgotha. And again, it just means gross, rotting hog head. All right. If you can just remember, that's kind of what it really is. He goes, there they crucified him, we've already seen that, with two others, one on either side, and Jesus between them. So biblically, we know that Jesus is in the middle, and he had two on either side, all right? And you've heard the messages, two people, one on equal distance, as close to Christ as the other, and one accepts them, one doesn't. That's true. That could be you. You heard it today. I guarantee you heard the gospel today. You can choose what you do, all right? Pilate also wrote an inscription, put it on the cross. It read, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. Who's going to take offense to that? The Jews are, because they're like, he ain't our king. Watch this. Many of the Jews read this inscription like, oh, no. For the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city, and it was written in Aramaic, in Latin, in Greek. Why was it written in three languages? Yeah, it's like if you were going to write something in Florida. You should write it in English. You should write it in Southern. You should, <laughs> you should write it in Spanish. You should write it in Creole. And you write it in Snowbird. I'm just saying. I'm, y'all or use or, man, then I'd have to delineate between Wisconsin and Michigan and Illinois. All the, yeah, because y'all are all just weird and talk different, not like us. All right. So. It was written in three languages so everybody could understand it. So the chief priest of the Jews said to Pilate, don't write that, the king of the Jews, but rather this man said, I'm king of the Jews. And Pilate's like, yeah, yeah, what I've written, I have written. And you think it was any accident that Pilate wrote that? (laughs) I think Pilate even kind of wrote it to maybe get some street cred with God, but he didn't have street cred with the people. And so he wrote it. So later when God's like, hey, why did you cruise? Well, look, I even wrote it. And he's like, yeah, but you didn't apply it. Like deodorant, dude. You can have a 55-gallon drum of this stuff, but if you don't put it on your arm, you're going to stink. you got to apply what you know from God. He said, what I've written, I've written. 
When the soldiers had crucified Jesus, they took his garments, divided them in four parts, one part for each soldier, also his tunic. But the tunic was seamless, woven in one piece from top to bottom. So they said to one another, let us not tear it, but cast lots for it to see whose it shall be. This was to fulfill scripture. That's why that went on. And uh, uh, for, uh, oh, sorry, they divided my garments among them and my clothes for uh, they cast lots. That was prophecy that was written. But standing by the cross, man, standing by the cross, there's Christ, eye level. Standing by the cross of Jesus were who? It's mom. How many of y'all are moms? How many of y'all could think of any worse thing in the world? And seeing your son nailed to a cross, beaten beyond recognition, and dying. Can you think of anything worse for a mom? But yet, Mary needed to see life from God's perspective. She pondered things from the very beginning. She's pondering now. You got to stand for God even when you don't understand. So there she was, mother, the mother, uh, his mom, his mom's sister. Mary, wife of Cleopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother, his disi- the disciple that he loved standing nearby, let me ask you a question. If you were in Jesus' position, uh, would it not be justifiable to think of yourself right now? Have any of y'all had as bad a day as Jesus has had so far? Alex, you ever had a bad, as bad a day as that? And yet, and yet, so has Alex ever come home and really just been, only of himself because it was such a rough day and just unloading? The answer is yes. It's, I'm just saying, we all have. How many of y'all have ever done that? You've had such a bad day that you deserve to have the moment to just make it all about you, right? If anybody ever had that ability or that was in that position, it would have been Christ right now. But Christ cares. His love cares He's already set because in a matter of hours, where was he going to be? I mean, he's going to be dead. He's going to be reunited with God. He's going to raise again. He's going to be with his father. He, I mean, he knows in the, in the, in, in the near future, he's going to be with God again. So it's, it's all part of God's plan. No surprises. So look what he does. He's there and he says, woman, behold your son. Then he said to the disciple, which was John, behold your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her to his own home. So man, even in the middle of all of this, he was selfless, not selfish. He cared and he cared for others. He cared for his mother. Do you think his mom would have held it a grudge against him forever if he didn't do that? No, but you think she treasured it? Absolutely. And so now John was going to be taken care of. So God's love cares. God's love also suffers. And let's bust through this real quick. It says, so when Pilate saw that he was gaining nothing, we're going back to Pilate again with Christ. He's gaining nothing, but rather that a riot was beginning. He took water, washed his hands before the people and said, I'm innocent of this man's blood. See it to yourselves. And all the people answered, his blood be upon us and upon our children. Then he released them, Barabbas, and having scourged Jesus. This is where they did the cat of nine tails, y'all. This is the beginning of it. Pilate had him scourged, hoping that he'd be beat up so bad. They say, yeah, he's just suffered enough. And we talked about that scourging last week where they would strip your back naked, put you on a pole, and the dude would take a leather, nine strips of leather with glass, bone, metal, and he would hit you, and all nine pieces would stick in your back. 
And instead of coming out and gently picking them out, he ripped them down and he did that for uh, 39 times because 40 would have been considered cruelty by their law. He's ripped open at the back at this point. Having scourged him, he then delivered him to be crucified. Then the soldiers of the governor, these are the secular guys, they took him into the governor's palace. They gathered the whole battalion before him in the middle of these soldiers. They stripped him. How many of y'all right there would have called down the legion of angels? All of the governor's soldiers, all the soldiers, and they strip you naked. Man, that's what I'm definitely drawing the line there. And they put a scarlet robe on him. That robe was not a soft little like kingly robe. The Roman soldiers wore a scratchy red burlap cloak that they would use for protection. They could make make shelter out of it, all kind. Of, and that scratchy burlap rag went on his back after he had been hit with a cat of nine tails 39 times. Anybody ever get sunburned really, really, really bad? and lay down on soft cotton bed sheets? Magnify that. That's what was happening on Christ at, that, at this point. Love suffers. We've never suffered like Christ. Love suffers. And the love is not for other people originally. The love has to be for God. And when we love God, who does He cause us to love? Others. When we find we're loving ourselves first, we're far away from Him. That's the world way. Love, love myself. I need this. This is me. And then if I can love me, then I can love. Then I got enough love for Chris and Sabrina and the Taylor twins. And I do know y'all's names, but I just don't know which one is which. But <clears throat> one day I'm going to figure it all out. But that's what the world says. But God says, love me. Then I'm going to cause you to love others. And then the love bouncing off will be all you need. They stripped and put a scarlet robe on him, <clears throat> twisting together a crown of thorns, big thorns. Many of you have gone to the Holy Land, you've seen the big thorns. And they put it on his head. They took a reed in his right hand, and kneeling before him, they mocked him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews! And as his thorns cut into your forehead, what happens? You bleed profusely in your forehead. His face is covered with blood. Why did he stay there? Love, because love saves, love cares, love sacrifices, love suffers, man, love suffers. Suffering isn't when we call it quits and say, I'm done. You might just be right in the middle of it. And he's rewarded for that later. They mocked him saying, hell, king of the Jews. They spit on him. And I'm not going to go into that like I did last week. Aren't you glad, Marley? <laughs> Make you relive the loogie in your face. I'm just saying. They spit on him. They took the reed, struck him on the head. And when they had mocked him, they stripped him of his robe, put on his other clothes, and led him away to be crucified. They went out. They found a man, Siren, Simon by name. And, and, and history says that this dude who carried his cross had a son. And in the first century church, they were hardcore believers. So glory came out of this. This guy they picked out of the crowd was by God's design. What if he picked you out of the crowd? Picked you out of the crowd to carry it. What? I don't want to be anywhere. No, I'm trying to hide. No, this guy carried it. 
And he got a front row seat to what was happening and what Christ was about. And he became a believer in the dudes in heaven with his son to this day, according to church history. They, his Simon by name, they compelled this man to carry Jesus' cross for a little bit. When they came to the place called Golgotha, which means pa, uh, place of the skull, they offered him wine to drink or vinegar mixed with gall, trying to, trying to basically, that's kind of like a narcotic to try to calm everything down. But when he tasted, he said, I'm not going to drink it because you remember. He said, I'm not drinking this again. At the last Lord's Supper, when he changed it, he said, I'm not drinking this again till when, Rob? When did he say he was going to drink it again? With you at the marriage supper, man. And so he's not drinking it again until he drinks it with us when we get raised to be with him. He said, man, I'm not drinking this. And when they had crucified him, they divided his garments among them, casting lots. you already seen this. They sat down, they kept watch uh, over him there and over his head. They put the charge against him, which read Jesus, King of the Jews. You've seen it. We're just seeing that in Matthew's version now. Then two robbers were crucified with them, one on the right, one on the left. Those who passed by derided him, wagging their heads and saying, who would you, you said you would destroy the temple and build it in three days. Ha, God, let's see you do that now. But what was he right in the middle of doing? dying, and now the temple would be him when he rose. Hey, where's the temple now? Where's the temple now, y'all? It's you. <laughs> you're the temple now because of what he did. And he said, they were saying, save yourself. If you're the son of God, come down off the cross. This is all suffering. Love suffers. None of us have ever suffered or will suffer as much as him. They, and also the chief priests with the scribes, the elders mocked him saying, he saved others. He can't save himself. He's the king of Israel. Let him come down from the cross. We'll believe in him. If he proves it to us, I'll believe in him. You know what? That's what the world says. Prove it and I'll believe. You know what God says? Believe and then I'll prove it. He trusts in God. Let God deliver him now if he desires him. For he said, I am the son of God. If he's really the son of God, man, he should be delivered. And the robbers who were crucified with him also reviled, reveled, reviled him in the same way. They were in his face, all right? Now, the sixth hour, all right? So the sixth hour from 6 a.m. in the morning, what time is it now? You're like, dang, it's noon already. No, man, we got plenty of time till lunch, all right? I'm just uh, it, 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 was, it was now noon. What do you expect the sun to be doing at noon? Shining, bright. In Florida in the summer, don't go out at noon. It's nuclear reactor time. Do it all in the morning. Take a siesta. Come back out later, right? Now, the sixth hour, it's noon. There was darkness all over the land until the ninth hour. From noon to three o'clock, it was dark. And again, we asked last week, when all of a sudden you've been making fun of Christ, you've been reviling him, you've been spitting on him, you've been hitting him, you've been in his face, man, and at noon it turns dark. What are you going to say? Uh-oh. <laughs> God got people's attention at that point. But you know what was happening? It says, and at the ninth hour, all right, so, so during from noon, you want to talk about suffering from noon to three o'clock, it's dark. But what was going on with Christ at that time? What was going on with Christ? He was taking on all of the sins of the world. Hey, how many of you, uh, so how many of you have ever relived a sin and it made you sick to your stomach? One sin, 
You've been confronted. God, maybe it's the devil confronting you with something that's already been forgiven. Any of you ever relived a sin and it made you sick to your stomach? And maybe another sin and another one and another one and another one. And that's just your sins. How many of you have ever relived the son's sins of your kids? And it grieves you. Everyone like, oh my goodness, look at the downfall. Look, and this is where it's going. And how many of you have been grieved by the sins of just your kids? Just the sins we know when we're confronted by them, especially if we're holy at that point, they grieve us. Man, people go into depression over this stuff. People, people freak out. People go, yeah, I mean, literally totally depressed over just their own sins or the sins of those close to them. Can you even imagine what it was like of him having to live each one of our sins, the sins of every person in the universe? Man, Mac and Holly, that'd be just horrible enough doing y'alls, right? Lord knows what goes on in Wisconsin. Isn't that where they say what goes on in Wisconsin stays in Wisconsin? Oh, that's Las Vegas, sorry. But literally, I'm serious. Think about this. Think about how horrible it is to relive yours, let alone every single thing in the universe when you are the ultimate clean freak. You are the ultimate sinless person and you have to take on all that sin for three hours. You want to tell me you guys relive memories of things and it rips us apart. It's a horrible place to suffer. And we suffer over and over and over and over again every time we relive these things, which by the way, if you've been forgiven, you don't need to. They've been tossed away. They're gone. But the fact is, is that we relive these things and it's suffering. Can you imagine now magnifying that suffering to all the people who ever existed and would exist? and him living through all that. Not only the physical suffering, but the emotional, the mental, the spiritual, because as you're going to see, he was separated from God Almighty for... When's the last time he was separated from God Almighty? God the Father, was he ever separated from him? No. Look at this. Jesus cried out at three o'clock, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani. That is my God, not Abba Daddy, but my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why? Because you have been covered with all of the sins of the world, past, present, and future. So I know we're going to sin again, but man, what if we thought about making a choice of not to sin because we didn't really want to add one more onto what Jesus has already taken? He took them all, past, present, and future. But maybe that should make a difference on how we live. Our love should be sacrificial. Our love should sacrifice. Matthew then go on and said, some of the bystanders here and it said, this man's calling on Elijah. One of them ran and took a sponge, filled it with vinegar and put it on a reed and gave it to him to drink. But the other said, wait, let's see if Elijah's going to come and save him. Let's see, let's get some out of the show. And God's love suffers, continues to suffer in this. After this, Jesus knowing that all was finished, he said to fulfill the scriptures, he said, I thirst. There's more suffering. When you were on the cross from nine uh, in the morning till, till noon, man, you're just, you're being dehydrated. And as I shared with you last week, that when you were on the cross and your legs were giving out, as you hung down, your diaphragm 
literally strangled and squeeze the air out of your lungs. How many of y'all would be totally terrified to die of suffocation? Like, dude, burn me, drown me. Not well, suffocation, that's burn. But literally, what happened as you went down, your air was pushed out of your lungs. And what's the only way to get air back in your lungs again? To pull yourself up on hands or arms that were being held there by nails. That's pretty excruciating. So I want you to understand the physical suffering. I want you to understand the emotional and mental suffering we looked at. And I want you to understand the spiritual suffering. Love suffers. And when God calls us to suffer in the name of love, to show somebody who he is, dude, is it going to be even close to what he did? But yet he's, we to, are told in Ephesians, love like Christ loved. So just because you have to suffer doesn't mean all shots are off. And in fact, soon, you're not even going to hear this out of the churches because there's, there's already suffering being taken out. And how many of y'all have learned things through suffering you couldn't learn any other way? Yeah. So again, jar full of sour wine stood there. So they put a sponge full of wine, hyssop branch, and held it to his mouth, and he didn't take it. Almost done here. God's love finishes. When Jesus had received the sour wine, he's ready to die. And what does he say at the end? What does he say, Kevin? It is finished. All right. Is that how he said it, Kevin? No. He said, it is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up the spirit. Hey, guys, so help, help me out, y'all. What did he say? It is finished. Here's what was finished. Again, at the very beginning, when there was God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, and there was perfection, no people, no nothing, God said, we're going to make people. And people are going to sin, and, 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 and they're going to be messed up. But, and I'm going to give this box of messed up people to you, Jesus. And Jesus is like, yeah! And because Jesus knew that the plan was he was going to go to the cross, be able to pay for their sins, and may, begin the pro, and, and redeem them but began the process of sanctification. And, and so by the time that people were now, when they died, they were going to be glorified and they're going to be exactly like God. And when all the people who die in Christ come together in that box and they're all like God, can you believe that? You're going to be like, you, all three of you are going to be like God. If you're born again, you're going to be just like him. And so Jesus now takes this box that used to be messed up people and now they're perfection. And what does he do with this box? What does he do? He gives it back to God. And when God opens the box, he says, Woo, there's Liz. Woo, there's Bill and Barb. Yes. <gasps> Look at you guys. You remember how messed up you are when I put you in the box? And you're like, yeah. You remember how I tried fixing you? And you resisted. And then now look at you. You're perfect. And it's just God gets the glory for all of it. And so when Jesus says it's finished, the process of making us perfect, it's finished the process. Uh, we're not perfect yet, but the process is now finished. So when he said it, it wasn't like in the movies, it is finished. No, help me out, guys. On the count of three, y'all yell it out like, how many of you ever finished a big project? And you were excited. Santa, you clean people's teeth, right? Are there some that you look and say, oh, Lord Jesus, no. <laughs> oh, Lord Jesus, this is going to, you're breaking out the pressure cleaner, man. You're breaking out the angle grinder. And when it's finally done, are you like, it is finished. You're like, no, it's finished. Yes, it's done. 
loading planes, man. Oh my goodness, here's a bunch. When you're finally done, it's like, oh my goodness, it's finished. No, it's finished. It's an So guys, on the count of three, help me hear what it was like for Jesus to say it was finished. And I'm going to tell you it wasn't, but it is finished. It wasn't a wimpy God. One, two, three. It's finished, dude. If it's finished, is there anything left for you to do? No, man. There's nothing you can do. You just got to believe that it's finished and give him your life. Just say, I believe it's finished, so here it is. I'm yours. Do what you want with me. And then he bowed his head and gave up the ghost. Last but not least, God's love wins. Watch this, and we'll talk more about this next week outside, and it won't be nearly this long. (laughs) Otherwise, we'd have to bring more umbrellas. (laughs) It was now about the sixth hour, and there was darkness over the whole land till the ninth hour, while the sun's light failed and the curtain of the temple was torn in two. (laughs) When Christ died, what did the curtain in the temple do, guys? Yeah, it, it separated. When you walked into the Holy of Holies, which was only certain people, man, once a year, and they were burning incense, man, swinging incense. And that incense represented the, uh, the prayer of the, of, the, of the people. And the priest would be bringing that in. History or tradition tells us, Chuck, they would tie a rope on the priest's ankle because he would walk in hoping the sacrifice was acceptable. And... Why would they tie a rope on him? Because if he went inside, if he went inside and God didn't accept it, he's dead. You going in after him, Mac? No, dude, I'm pulling him out with a rope. And so that was the holy of holies that separated man, even the high priest, from a holy, righteous God. And so now when Christ died, the, te- the, tabra- uh, the, the curtain was ripped from which direction to which direction? the top to the bottom. That wasn't man ripping it from the bottom to the top. That was God giving us access to him. You have that access. Then Jesus calling out with a loud voice said, Father, in your hands, I commit my spirit. Having said this, he breathed his last. God's love wins. And um, Matthew's version, he says, and Jesus cried out again with a loud spirit, yielding up his spirit. And behold, the curtain, the temple was torn in two from top to bottom the earth shook. There was an earthquake and the rocks were split. And listen to this. He couldn't wait to say this, but he said the tombs were open and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised and coming out of the tomb after Jesus's resurrection. That This happens after his resurrection that those come out, but there's plenty of proof. God's love wins. He raised dead bodies. He went into, they went into Holy City, uh, appearing to many when the centurion, this happened on the crucifixion, the guy in charge of all the dirty deeds, all the soldiers, when the centurion and those who were with him, keeping watch over Jesus, saw the earthquake and what took place, they were filled with awe. And what did they say? This is the son of God. They saw evidence of the resurrection. They saw evidence of him being God. They saw evidence. They saw his love. Help me out again. Remember this. What was the first part of his love? His love forgives. His love saves. His love cares. His love suffers. It finishes, but last but not least, it wins. 
So you see what Christ's love looks like, and we were commanded in Ephesians, walk like Christ, walk in his love. And if you're born again, you can do it. Love suffers, love finishes, love wins. Look, it was right there on the screen. I even know that. Be like God. God is love. Let's pray. Father, thank you for uh, giving us your word. Father, thanks for your Holy Spirit to um, really be the, the hose, the vessel by which your word enters our hearts and does what it needs to do. Father, I pray that when everyone leaves today, that they will know that they have been with you. I pray each person would ask you, Holy Spirit, what it is that you want them to do with what they've been given today. Father, we know we're supposed to walk in love, but man, we can't hardly remember all these things, but each one of them, somebody remembers because it's something that they're supposed to do. So Father, help us love like you, Christ. Help us think about this this week. Help us look to your example. Help us love you and not what you can do for us. Because Father, if we truly love you, we will have no problem being grateful and loving you for what you've done. But that would not be the reason that we love you. We'd love you because you're awesome, because you're magnificent, because you're wonderful. Help us know you better. And I pray if there's someone here that needs to pull the trigger and just surrender everything they know about themselves, everything they know about you, that today would be the day they do it. Pray they'd give their life to you. And I know you, Father, will come in and you will direct them the rest of the way. Pray for these things in Jesus' name, amen.